America as an example, America has been deceived for decades upon decades upon decades. And the first thing, if you, you want some markers to when this started, what do you think are some markers of when America started becoming deceived? What are some high points in American history of when this started happening? Any ideas? 1960s, yeah. The Cultural Revolution, which was hijacked by the, cult the Marxist Revolution. And uh, that was a big turning point uh, in American history because all of a sudden um, it was free sex, free love, all that stuff. And then on the back, the, 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 what piggybacked on that was Marxism, socialism. Uh, so the, as that as an example, something significant happened, um, I think it was in 1973, along with the abortion law that got, is getting ready to get overturned. We'll talk about that in current events. But um, the American Psychiatric Association, I think it's the, that, APA, or th I think it's the name. The same year, I think, that abortion uh, was made law in United States is, I think, the same year that the American Psychiatric Association was infiltrated by radical homosexuals. And when it got infiltrated, most people, we understand the death of a culture, you decide to legalize infanticide, but what they didn't realize at the same time that was happening is the board members that, uh, that were running the uh, American Psychiatric Association were infiltrated and homosexuals positioned themselves in that board. At that point, the American Psychiatric Association, which had deemed homosexuality a mental illness, was erased. And at that point, they worked in the psychiatry aspects and through the teaching and all that, that they slowly started turning the table on homosexuality, lesbianism, and now what you have is Pandora's box with, uh, uh, you know, transgender, whatever, you know, we don't know your gender, whatever, you know, all that stuff. So, as you can see, how does deception happen? You have to be infiltrated, okay? So, when we talk about Satan's deception, he infiltrates. And so, he infiltrated, the, you know, the Supreme Court at that, in 1973. He's, he infiltrated... Um, the uh, uh, American Psychiatric Association, okay? And to now, he's infiltrated the medical to where the medical doctors are being trained that you can't assign female or male at, at the point of birth, okay? And what that is is a, a challenge to God's authority because God made them male and female, so he's the one who has authority to say that. And now we're given the authority to not only the parents to make that call, but the parents have the ability to... Uh, inf infanticide their child up to one year in, a, in California. Uh, and so the authority goes from God, but to a parent. And then eventually the authority goes to the child who gets pressured into deciding what he wants to be. Okay. What it is an attack on biblical authority through infiltration and through deception. So you can look at that. Uh, another thing that happened in American history is about uh, German rationalism and German um, higher criticism of the Bible um, that happened in the 1800s in Germany, infiltrated into America and into the early 1900s.
Pastor? Yes. Where am I at? Am I missing something? Yes. Pastor, wasn't there also uh, earlier on the 1920s or 30s the Scopes trial? Yeah, you had the Scopes trial that, that opened. Minneism. It's a major turning point, right? And um, with creationism versus evolution, and that set the whole thing in motion for an evolutionary theory, um, which was it's been debunked, but they continue to keep it. Um, but in the 1900s, what happened was American uh, seminaries will, were infiltrated through deception. And the biggest infiltration happened at, uh, uh, in New York and Manhattan at Union Theological Seminary, which was a Presbyterian seminary at the time. So what happened is infiltration happened. Uh, false teachers, false professors, false false doctrines started being uh, promulgated through Union Theological Seminary. And then what happened was um, Union was teaching these kids uh, to go into the ministry, and then it sent out these kids into different churches. And these kids had the bad theology from Union Theological Seminary and went out and started spreading false, the false gospel, false religion, uh, false Christianity through um, the churches. And that happened early in the 1900s. So what came in reaction to that was fundamentalism. Okay. Fundamentalism is not like what you think it is. It's not, it's not the people who, you know, have hairology and, and, you know, women have to wear dresses. That's, that's an offshoot. Fundamentalism was we were keeping to the fundamentals of the faith because what was happening in the early 1900s is the churches were departing from the fundamentals of the faith. And so there's where apostasy for the first time started happening in the United States. Now, there had been cults, no doubt about that, with Joseph Smith and the Jehovah Witnesses and the uh, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, the Millerite movement that created the Church of Christ and all that. But really, where you want to pin the tail on the donkey, what changed America was the 1900s and what happened at the seminaries. Now, at this point now in U.S. history, almost every denomination that used to be legitimate in the 1800s has been corrupted, every one of them. And that means that the leaven has worked through the entire loaf, okay? And, and so there's no dom denominations that's not untouched at this point in time. That's why it's better in this day and age to be independent, to be non-denominational because, look, you name name one denomination that hasn't went south. Now, there, of course, there's breakoffs, obviously, from these these denominations. You know, like there's a breakoff of the Calvary Chapels that broke off the Broderson uh, group. Um, there's a breakoff of those guys. Um, there's breaks off right now happening in the Southern Baptists. Uh, and there's breakoffs, but I'm not talking about breakoffs. Breakoffs happen because the denomination has went south. And so that's what we see in American history. So it took, you know, what, 120-something years to get to this point? That's how long apostasy worked itself through the entire loaf. That changed America. So when it happened in the 1900s, it progressively got worse and worse and worse. At that point, American churches in, uh, allowed progressivism to come into their church. And then by um, somewhere in the 70s, um, 
the social gospel uh, got into the church as well, and that's been alive and well through, and it came through liberation theology, which started in Central America and the Latin American countries that infused Marxism and Catholicism, and that made its way into the church as well. Um, so to where we're at this point, so what is my whole point about going through these, these historical points is because every point deception infiltrated and started getting at the fountainhead of where it happens and then it, it goes out into the, the street. Now that's a key to understand how Satan works in deceiving the nations, but also how he deceives individuals. The best way for Satan to deceive the most amount of people is to go to fountainheads, fountainheads of information, okay? He doesn't spend his time on, you know, where information ends up. He spends his time where information comes out. So uh, the perfect place for messing up the church is to infiltrate the seminaries, okay? The perfect place to deceive a nation is to infiltrate the government of that nation. Has he done that? Yes, of course. Most of these people, um, there's, uh, there's probably, a, what did uh, Trevor Loudon say, about 150 uh, functioning communists in the U.S. government, uh, whether it's Congress or Senate. That's why you don't see anything happening. That's why they're letting this happen. That's why they let wokeism happen. That's why they let Biden go crazy and do his spending because they're communists and they control the narrative. So we've been infiltrated. Same as the church has been infiltrated. So when you look at how Satan deceives the nations, one of the things, okay, he starts at the fountainhead and then we move from there. You start the information uh, fountain and you control the narrative. So now you see what's going on in the media. That is satanic what's happening in the media, right? So it's a fountainhead of information. Um, and then like I'm gonna talk about in current events, Biden just created, you know, basically Orwellian ministry of truth where he created a disinformation um, council or governing body or board or whatever he's gonna do. And they're going to go after disinformation. We'll talk about that more, but like Orwell wrote, when you have a totalitarian regime, you have to have a propaganda arm basically. And in Orwell's book, The Ministry of Truth, which was not the Ministry of Truth, they weren't, promoting the truth they're promoting the narrative of the you know the party and and so now we have created in america now a ministry of truth this is truly dystopian but what it will it do it goes at the fountainhead of information and then it curtails it in such a way as to do to suppress the truth okay so let's go to a more practical level in a more practical level, the way he will infiltrate a family is go after the biggest influence in the family, whether that be the woman, whether that be the male. And he will go after that particular person because that person has the biggest mouth. <laughs> Just the way it is, okay? Now, what I mean by the biggest mouth is they're the ones that everyone typically listens to. 
They're the ones always saying something. They're the ones always giving their opinion. They're the, always the one with the flow of information back and forth, whether that's good information or bad information, okay? So I'll treat it as neutral, but as, as you can see, the one that always flaps their gums becomes an easy target. And that's just the way it is. So you go after that person that won't stop talking, and then Satan deceives them, and before you know it, He's controlling how that information is coming out of that person. And if the whole family listens to that person, that one person can destroy the entire family by their mouth. What did James say the tongue is? It's like a flame of fire, right? You have to control it. So if you have someone in your family that can't control their mouth, guess who Satan's going after? They will be the one that he targets, and they will be the ones that you have to resist. And that being the case then, so that's one aspect. The other aspect is Satan will go after the person in your family that has the most money. Why? Because everyone looks up to that person. The, the Proverbs talk about that when a person is wealthy, people automatically think they're smart. They automatically think they're wise. And a lot of people just fall backwards into it, and they don't have no idea how they got there. They lucked out or whatever it might be. So Satan, because he knows the world system and the people of this world bow a knee to money and power, he knows that in a family, people will bow a knee to the one who has the most money. And because of that, he will work on them to influence others. And that's how he works. And you can see how, why he would do that. He goes after the most powerful person and the one who, who can't control their mouths, and they become the targets. Now, I want you to think about that in your own family. Think about who has all the money in your family. Think about who can't shut their mouth. Okay? Watch. Watch what, watch what, what they do. Now, I'm not talking, to, you know, we're talking about, like, if they're a Christian, that means they're just unchecked. They're, they don't even know what they're doing a lot of times. Unbelievers don't know what they're doing, but they're being used as useful idiots because they don't know what's happening to them. But those are the targets. If you see how Satan works with the nations, who's he going to spend time with at a nation? You and me? No, he spends it with the world powers influencing them i mean it's 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 you can see it's it's you go after the ones who have the influence so he's going to go after politicians going to go after those of the globalists and they 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 have all the power don't they he's going to go after bezos he's going to go after zuckerberg and bill gates and you can see what they're doing right um so when you, you take it from a geopolitical level and then you put it on a local level, then that's what he's going to do on a local level and a familial level. It's the one who makes all the money and it's the one that can't shut their mouth. Media and politics. You see? It's the same concept. Okay, so then, then what we do is it's a trickle-down effect. We start at the headwaters, and that water just keeps flowing down and hits all the other different headwaters. So, for, like, for instance, you go from a seminary, then you go to a church, okay? And, and a church in a denomination, if it gets corrupted, 
then that church gets corrupted. But the trickle-down effect is it will affect everyone in that church and it has the potential of corrupting the majority of that church. And then from the church aspect, the trickle-down effect goes into the person's family. So you go from the seminary all the way to the family and you can destroy the family if you get at the seminary level because the seminary can destroy the church and then the church can destroy the family. And so when you see all these woke churches um, doing this, they're destroying families. They're creating a problem in Christendom right now for all of us. We've got people, Christians that are woke, Christians that are clueless, Christians that think they're on the side of God and they're on a total opposite because they have assumed that since the pastor taught them this, it must be right, okay? And that's, that's wrong, that's bad right? Uh, especially when the, the, the pastor's saying, you know, you, we need to apologize for your white privilege or critical race theory or whatever the, the issue is, um, it then gets brought into the family. And how do I know it? Because when you guys tell me you're debating with other Christians that go to other churches and the nonsense they say to you, I know what's happening in that church. Because you tell me. When so-and-so comes from this church and, so, and you tell me what they said to you, then I know what's happening from the pulpit and I, ha I can trace that all the way up to the denomination and I can trace that up to the seminaries. So can you, but that's what's happening. And so that's Satan's cleverness and intelligence to do things like that. Now let's move on to Satan influences the nations. Now influence is a little bit different. Um, uh, uh, influence rather than deception, is sometimes hard to figure out. And this takes a little bit of, of understanding how Satan plays this game. Influence will be misunderstood because it will be couched in the framework of you doing good. That you're, you're going to do good for something. And he will use what we call conventional wisdom the wisdom of this world to make you think that this is the right path for you to take. Let me tell you something. God doesn't use the wisdom of this world. Most of the time when God leads you to do something, it won't make sense at first. It will be something that comes out of left field. This is how you need to understand in testing the spirits of where this wisdom is coming from. The wisdom of God goes against the norms of society. So some of the norms of society, you know, um, well, if, you know, the conventional wisdom, well, if everyone's doing it, it must be right. That's a conventional wisdom. But is that right? No, the majority are typically wrong, aren't they? In fact, when God leads you, it will go against the grain of things. That's how you know that it's not non-conventional wisdom. When God leads you to do something, it will require faith. Conventional wisdom of this world doesn't require faith. It's like, well, there it is, lined up. Okay, let's do it. It's, that's conventional wisdom. God says, I want you to do something, and you won't see the resources for it. It's different. It's abnormal. It throws you off a little bit, but as you pray, and then all of a sudden it makes sense and you have to step out in faith. 
So when Satan influences nations or you, it will seem smart. It will seem like the right thing to do. Okay? So let's test this out in the waters. If you're dealing with Israel and the Muslim population, um, Palestinians per se, let's talk about the Middle East, what would conventional wisdom say about how to handle the Palestinians? What does the world say about what Israel should do with the Palestinians? Two-state solution is conventional wisdom, right? Sounds good, but it's wrong. Because they would say conventionally, well, isn't it right that all humans have a right to exist? You see where I'm going with this? Isn't isn't it a human right that they can feed their families and work at a job and and do good and and they just want to make out a living? That's conventional wisdom, right? That's conventional will. Yeah, you and you see how people could follow along with that. Yeah, yes, right. That's right. Now again, conventional wisdom is without the framework of a biblical knowledge. So conventional wisdom is all these poor human beings. Uh, Don't you see what the Jews are doing? They're making them suffer by putting them in camps and not letting them go out into Israel and whatnot. And and Israel puts up these these walls to keep them out. And boy, that's just, it's apartheid. That's where people get their ideas about the Middle East. So conventional wisdom, you can see how we would catch on to anybody that doesn't have a biblical framework. Now, What's the truth about that? Is it an issue of human rights? See, I trust God and you do too. And I trust that God loves every human being, doesn't he? Because he says he does. He cares for them. But what does he say about the land of Israel? It's no one else's but the Jews and the Palestinians and any Arab population on that land are nothing but squatters. Now, that doesn't fly with conventional wisdom because it seems mean, right? Because conventional wisdom, well, that doesn't even make sense. It does from a biblical standpoint because no one has the right to that land. And so at the end of the day, you see how conventional wisdom butts up against God's wisdom. But see, Satan will produce that in your personal life. Let's say, um, as far as a conventional wisdom in your own personal life. Ah. Let's do one of Dave Ramsey's conventional wisdom. Dave Ramsey wants everyone to be out of debt. And that's like his moniker, right? In one sense, that's good, but in another sense, he's an absolutist about debt. Conventional wisdom says get out of debt. But biblical wisdom says sometimes there's needs to carry debt. The Bible doesn't forbid debt, and so I don't know where Dave Ramsey got that from. The Bible allows for debt. 
That's why the average Israelite, if they wanted to borrow, borrow money, would get into debt, and then they would have to be an indentured servant within seven-year time frame in order to pay off that debt. The average Israeli was in debt because they were borrowing. That's just what life was and just how it is today. There's nothing wrong with carrying debt as long as you can pay it. Okay, when it, it, Debt is wrong when you can't pay it. Okay, so let me explain this a little bit. Sometimes conventionally, well, I just got to get out of debt, get out of debt. Yeah, but what happens when your debt actually benefits you more financially? What happens if your debt allows you to do spiritual service for the Lord? You see the problem with Dave's absolutism a church couldn't survive unless it went into debt in some cases you couldn't do ministry if you weren't allowed to borrow according to dave ramsey's absolutism now it's great if you can pay the thing off but 99 uh, of the churches can't they have to get a loan so he would basically, if we stayed with Dave Ramsey's conventional wisdom, then no church would ever be able to progress any further than what they can get in their offerings and tithes, which would limit churches like us from getting a building. Because at the end, we know that the Lord will bless us because he's led us. And then we have to get over there and then we can increase our ministry which will bring in the revenue to fund the debt. So Dave Ramsey is wrong on that because churches and ministries couldn't survive without going into debt. You see what, what conventional wisdom does? So think about this, conventional wisdom. I'm not gonna take out any debt. I guess you'll be living in an apartment for the rest of your life. But what would happen if you got a mortgage instead of putting money into an apartment and losing that money instead of building equity. You see where I'm going? So you rather lose the money so you're not in debt, but I'm going to take debt, but I can build equity. Conventional wisdom doesn't work. And what if God calls you to do something and you don't have the money? What are you supposed to do? You see where I'm going with this? So one thing that can keep you from doing things from the Lord is conventional wisdom. If I did conventional wisdom, I would have never started Rock Harbor Church because I had no money. So be careful. It may seem right. And everybody was telling me, don't start the, the, the Rock Harbor. We're in a bad economy. We just came out of 2008. Don't do it. You have no money. And whatever people say, they tried to help us. They didn't help us, okay? Nor did I want their help. <laughs> so we had a big donut hole. But we started with nothing, okay? I had to borrow money to pay myself for the first three months. I, otherwise, I couldn't live. So how was I going to do it without going into debt? I wasn't. I had to. So that's why I don't like absolutism 
in debt because it's not real. It doesn't work in the real world. And it doesn't work in trying to obey God either. It doesn't. Let's do another conventional wisdom. This is, again, how it's, So if I went to a conventional wisdom, Satan would have deceived me and we said, Brandon, it's not working. You don't have it financially. And plus, you're going to have to borrow in order to pay yourself for three months before the church starts. Don't do it. You don't have the finances. So guess what would have happened? This would not have existed if I paid attention to conventional wisdom. And that's, this is how Satan can influence you. It's through conventional wisdom. And see, you're not embarrassed by doing conventional wisdom. You can say, well, look, the numbers don't add up and this doesn't add up. And so I'm just not gonna do it. But what if God called you to do it? You see the thing, how it works? So Satan actually can prevent you from doing ministry because conventional wisdom. You know what? One of the conventional wisdoms that Satan uses with believers all the time I'm too busy. Yeah, you are busy. And no one can doubt that. But where in your schedule are you going to serve the Lord? Well, I'm just too busy. Yeah, I, I get it. And you are busy. But did God make you that busy or did you make yourself that busy? But conventional wisdom, Brandon, I'll, you know, when I'm done raising kids, then I can serve. I just got too much going on in my hands. I got two little kids and we're struggling with these two little kids so we can't even do ministry. That's conventional wisdom. What, what, what would God say to that couple that says they can't serve because they have two little kids? I didn't give you those kids to make an excuse for you not to serve me. Do not, don't, don't you dare use your kids as an excuse of why you don't serve Jesus. That's crazy talk. But see, conventional wisdom, Brandon, I'm just too busy. I got kids, we're running around, running here. Oh, really? Okay, ain't gonna work. So conventional wisdom, let's, bring, let's go to a geopolitical level. What does conventional wisdom say what we should do with Russia in the Ukraine? What is their conventional wisdom? What should we do as far as conventional wisdom is concerned? What are they saying? What are the proponents saying? Sanctions. You think sanctions are going to stop Russia? No. Um, we're going to arm the Ukraine. Conventional wisdom. Is that going to stop Putin? Putin? No. And I even hear people say we might have to go nuclear conventional wisdom. What would spiritual wisdom say about that? To take the, to take the Bible's principles, what would biblical wisdom say about Russia and Ukraine? If you're the president of the United States and God is asking you to make the right decision based on his word, what would be the right decision spiritually about handling Putin and the Ukraine, when you know both sides are evil. Not the Ukrainian people, and I I'm not even talking about the Russian, I'm talking about the two governments are evil. The Ukrainian government and the Russian government are evil. One's a globalist, and one's a flat-out nationalist on the level of going to Hitler-esque, okay? So what would the scriptures militate? What would they say? 
What would they say to me as the president of the United States, what I should do with these two people? Stay out of it? But what about the poor Ukrainians? What about the poor Russians? The Russian people, I'm saying. The, the Ukrainian, but what about them? Isn't that a humanitarian crisis that you should get involved in? Isn't that something that you should run to their rescue? What, should, well, you should try to stop this war, shouldn't you? You should try to intervene, shouldn't you? Or what? What, should, what, would you, what do you think Bi the Bible would tell you to do? Stand up for themselves? Fight their own battles? Seek peace? Do what? Shoot them both? Assassinate uh, the two, uh, Putin and uh, uh, Zelensky? Pray? Repent? What are we going to repent of? I didn't start the war. What are we going to repent of? What are we going to pray? What is going to be your prayer? Versus conventional wisdom. No one has an answer, huh? What do I think? My opinion is not important. If I was the president of the United States. I think that's probably the best answer. From a, so, so here's where knowing the Bible comes into play versus conventional wisdom. I'm not going to stop this. Why? Why do I know I'm not going to stop this? Because what does the Bible say prophetically that happens to the, you're dealing with the western leg of Europe, which is the western leg of Daniel's man, the metallic man, and you're dealing with the eastern leg of Daniel's metallic man. Okay? So we now, I, I now then can unconventionally use scripture to identify both parties. Now I know where both parties stand. You're the western leg of Rome and you're the eastern leg of Rome. Now make your decision. You see what, what's happening here? I'm bringing an un, wisdom that comes from God that identifies who these people are. So then, what does the scenario play itself out? The scenario plays itself out like this. Russia will lose the overall war against the West because he's going to eventually turn and attack Israel. And when he does that, God takes them out. So the eastern leg of the, of, of the Roman Empire that's still with us today will dismantle. And then the western leg will then take over. And what, do the, what does the western leg want to do and put out? A new world order, which Putin is opposing. So the Western leg will win because I already know who wins in this debate. We go from the two-legged situation to a global government. So I already know who wins. But to support either one would be wrong because you, there's no one to support. Yeah, yes, we support the people. under. I'm talking about the governments. 
There's no government to support. So the United States is using conventional wisdom because why does the United States want Ukraine to win? Because they're globalists too. And so the globalists know they got to get out. And they said it at the World Government Summit. We've got to get out these major power brokers so that middle powers can rise. Well, one of the major power brokers, not only in the United States, but it's people like Russia and China and India. So they already got the United States in their back pocket. Okay, so they got to take out Russia. He is a too powerful for them to allow and he doesn't allow middle powers to rise. They said that at that meeting. Okay, so therefore, um, your best bet as president of the United States would be to stay out of the conflict because any intervention on your part is your getting in the way of prophecy. You've got to let it unfold. And, and I am not going to grease the skids for anybody. I am not going to play a part in getting involved in taking out Russia so that I can grease the skids for the new world order. And I'm also not going to help uh, Russia to grease the skids for them to attack Israel. So on this one, I'm not going to play policeman. On this particular one, according to prophecy, if I get involved, I'm kicking against the goads. And what that means is like what Paul always said, it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it, Paul? It's hard to kick against the will of God, isn't it? Because you're not going to win if it's the will of God. And I already know the will of God and how that's going to play out. So if I was president, we're not getting involved. I'll send aid. I'll send humanitarian aid but we're not getting involved in this. We're not sending arms. We're not doing anything because I know prophetically where this ends up and I'm not gonna jump in the middle of that and be accused by the Lord of why did you get involved when you knew this was playing out in prophecy. Hence, conventional wisdom tells you to take a side, but there's no side. And that's because of what God tells you. There's no side to support. You're supporting Gog or are you supporting the new world order that's going to usher in the Antichrist? Neither one. Neither one. So that would even go again. So in, a, in another situation, and we've done this in World War I, World War II, where you have aggressors taking over the weak. And that was right to go fight a just war, World War I, World War II, Vietnam, all those were right. But there was no prophetic implications in doing that. It was, a, we, the, the United States goes and, and protects the weak against evil people, the axis of power. That's right, that's called a just war. But in this one, this is why it confuses so many people. There's no such thing as a just war in this situation because they're both evil. And so you back off. So Zelensky's all hooked up with the World Economic Forum. That dude, I mean, they're calling him like the savior of the world, Antichrist-esque. I'm not saying he's the Antichrist, but that's how they view him. And they view Macron like that. So the whole, the whole Western leg of Europe is, is preparing for the Antichrist. They want some guy to set everything right. So you must learn the difference between conventional wisdom and the wisdom of God in order to make right decisions in life.
That's a biggie. And that's how he influences the nations. And that's what they're going to do. What, what, what is a typical unbelieving politician that takes the White House? What, he's, what are they after? What are the three things every politician is after? That's why they don't retire, by the way. Power, money. What's the other one? The Pharisees had it. Prestige or fame. They want to be known. They want to have their name known, right? That's why Pelosi doesn't retire. That's why they don't retire. These guys should already be, be retired 25 years ago, right? But they don't let go because the money, power, and the prestige. It's all there. They won't let it go. And, and so when people make conventional decisions, it's usually based on those three aspects, money, power, and prestige. So let's say um, you get a, a, a job somewhere and you're like, man, this is going to make, make more money and this is going to be great. Is that necessarily a good thing to make more money? Not necessarily. If you make a decision because the job being offered to you makes more money, you might find yourself out of the will of God pretty fast. Not saying that's wrong. It's great if you can get a raise. It's great if you can get a job promotion. You can make more money. That's great. If it's within the will of God, but if it's not, and all you're seeking is, well, this will give me status, this will give me more money, this will give me uh, more power, well, then you might be going after the same things that the politicians are going after. But that's conventional wisdom. It sounds good. So, like, for instance, when you tell your, your friend, hey, man, I got this opportunity at this another job, and I'm going to make $20,000 more, and they're gonna be, I'm going to be the vice president instead of a manager, and conventional wisdom, that's great, that's great, that's great. But what would godly wisdom say? Why are you doing this? Because you'll spend more, more time away from your family in order to do this, and you won't be able to serve a church if you do this. You won't be able to serve Christ if you do this. You see, those factors are not put into conventional wisdom. The number one factor is if I'm, if I'm going to do anything, whatever decision I, I need to make, can I serve the, the Lord more in doing something? And if I can say I'm not going to serve the Lord more, that governs what kind of decision I'm going to make. If I can't expand my ministry, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to curtail. That would be instantaneously. Can you expand your ministry in anything presented to you? If you can, great. That's a good sign. That's not all the signs, but it is a good sign. But it goes against conventional wisdom. Can I find a good church in that area? Now, most people don't think like that. But if you can find a good church, that's a win-win. Because if you don't find a church, you're hung. You're hung like the rest of these people online that don't have a church and they're stuck. So there's what you have to start thinking as far as influence. Now, influence too can happen in another, another way on a personal level that Satan and demons can put thoughts into your head, okay? And they're very good about that. Like I said before, they can't read your thoughts, but they can put thoughts into your head. And those thoughts will always be do it this way and it will create the greater good. Do it this way and it'll create the, the, be, uh, the, you know, the, better, the better life for you, the, the more of this. It'll always be some good. 
this is where it's deceptive because Satan is not going to come to you and say, hey, do this because it's really, really evil, man. And you're going to like being really evil. And this is going to be great. You're going to love this. You can wear a cape and all that stuff because you get so evil on this. He's never going to, to, to do that to you. He is always going to influence you and say, do it this way and it's good. And it's good. This will benefit the most people. This will benefit your family. This will benefit you. That's how he comes. Now think about this. I know this is crazy. And we look at you know what the Biden administration is doing to the economy as an example. They really believe that, that what they're doing by destroying our economy is a good thing. And why do they believe it's a good thing? What is their goal? power and money, digital currency, new world order, they actually believe that the new world order and the digital currency that will be the framework that supports it is a good thing for people. They really do. And so they have no problem destroying our economy because they think what they're going to is great. It's a good thing. You and I know it's not a good thing, but how would you know that a global government is no good? How would you know that? You wouldn't get that from your instincts. You had to be told from scripture that that is evil. And you, would, you didn't even have to know prophecy to know that a one world government is evil because all I would have to do is take you to Genesis, right? And what happened in Genesis? At Nimrod tried to create a global government and what did God do about that? I wouldn't, you see, I wouldn't even have to know prophecy to know that, that God frowns on globalism. He wants individual nations, just from the Tower of Babel, just from that. But that's unconventional wisdom. And so they think it's good. That's why they sleep at night. That's, that's why you and I are saying this is so evil. But when we say that, they're like, what are you talking about? Look what's happening with the Supreme Court. We'll talk about that in current events. Supreme Court got leaked that they're overturning Roe, and v Roe v. Wade. It's going back to the states. The, the, the legality of Roe v. Wade was wrong, and they, they, Alito mentions that, and it was just bad law. It, they did it wrong, and the Supreme Court at that time was, was off their rocker. So they're going to reverse it, and it's going to go back to the states. But I'll show you in the, in the next segment in our current events of how crazy people are becoming right now. They're going nuts. They're losing it, right? Because these people who do child sacrifice and want child sacrifice to Moloch and Baal, um, they think what? It's a good thing, don't they? They think that what the Supreme Court is doing is evil. Why do you think they, what, what is it Again, this is more of how they were influenced to think this way. What is it that Satan has convinced them that abortion or killing babies and murdering babies is a good thing? What are they convinced by? Reproductive rights. It's the right of a woman. Yeah. So they, re they frame it in a good way. Do you see how they did that? They framed it in a good thing. It's a woman's right. But here's the thing. Is it a woman's right? No. Whose right 
is it over the baby? God's. Thank you very much. You see that? See, that's not, that's not conventional wisdom. When you tell people God created the male and female, he forms them in his womb, according to Psalm 139, that, ha- that came from revelation from God, which then tells you that the authority over the baby's life is the creator, not the parents. But see, in their minds, they are the God because they're the state, and they believe they have the rights over children or, or whatever they think they are in the womb. And so they think it's a good thing. So the reason is they have taken on the authority of God to make those calls. This is the same temptation that happened in the Garden of Eden. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. What does that mean? It means that Adam and Eve will be the arbitrator of good and evil, not God. They wouldn't depend on him telling them what's good and evil. They would be the arbitrators of that. That's why that was so heinous. That's, in effect, what these people have done. They have said, I'm the arbitrator of good and evil, and I deem this a woman's right rather than infanticide. Okay, so let's dig a little bit deeper on this and how they're influenced this way. They're influenced by they think that they're doing a good thing, okay? But deep down inside, where in their conscience are they dealing with the murder? What are they doing with it in their conscience about the murder? Because they know intuitively, in order for a woman to have this right, she's got to have the authority to kill her baby. What is going on in the conscience of the person, in the heart of the person, that would allow that kind of evil? They think they're God. We got that. They think they're God. I'm going to call the shots. I'm doing good. But how do you ignore how do you ignore the murder? Because here's the thing. The law of God is written on their hearts. Thou shalt not murder. It's on there. So it's not like they don't know what the law is. They internally know this. And by the way, Paul says the law condemns them in their heart. Even Gentiles who don't know the law, the law condemns them, Romans chapter 2. So they're being condemned at the same time that they think they're doing good. So what do you do with this condemnation? What do you do with knowing the fact that the Holy Spirit and your conscience is bearing witness that you're murdering somebody, you're allowing murder? What do you do with that? Okay, so we're going to redefine what it is. Okay, we're going to redefine it so that if it's just simply a blob of tissue, then... It relieves me of the stress of the condemnation. Leaves me of the, the guilt that I'm having. Okay. But here's, keep um, keep dr- drilling with me, okay? So once they convince themselves of that, the guilt is still there. They have nowhere to... The, the guilt is somewhat relieved by calling another thing. But then that's avoiding reality, okay? So at, so at that point, they have to avoid reality. But then I got to go one step further as I'm drilling down in order to relieve my guilt. It's not just, it's not just I approve of it. I've got to do something else. 
I must get society's approval of it. And that's the final clincher to relieve guilt. That's why they're fighting the Supreme Court so hard is because if the law of the land says it's wrong, that guilt comes back. And when the guilt comes back, the anger pops up as they're extremely angry right now. And so they, once they, see, once they get societal approval, things kind of calm down because their guilt goes down. But if someone confronts them and says, that's wrong, boom, the anger pops up. And why does the anger, the anger is attached to guilt. So as Romans 1 says, not only do they do these things, they approve of others who do is where you get societal approval to relieve you of the guilt. That's why they won't stop. That's why the LGBT mafia won't stop. This is why the Marxists won't stop. It's why everyone who does evil won't stop until society gets their approval or gives them their approval. And so those are the two aspects. I deny reality and I get societal approval. Deadens me to guilt. They don't feel it at that point because everyone's doing it. It's a kind of a herd mentality and that's what their, their modus operandi in all their tactics is to do is to get societal approval. And I'm telling you what, on the kid thing, on the pedophilia thing that's going on in the grooming of, of kids in schools and Disneyland and all the other places, they're gonna continue to push this until they get societal approval. Right now they're getting some backlash, but they're, gonna, they're not going away. They're gonna keep pushing and pushing and pushing until they get societal approval. And if you don't get, give them their approval, they get hostile with you. That's the idea, that's the tactic. So that's how influence works. It's a very deceptive game. But I'm going to deceive you to think that what you're doing is good and I will remove the guilt from you by erasing definitions, words, redefining, and then I'll give you society's approval. The redefinite, see, language is a big deal in Satan's world, okay? Language is a key factor in deception. God spoke the word of God and he brought everything into existence, right? What that means then, as the creator, God has the authority to define reality by the things he created. He defined reality by the things he spoke into existence. That's the reality, what Satan does is he takes the language of God and he redefines it. So all of this deception and influence has to do with language manipulation. And once he can manipulate the language, he can change reality for the person. So this is why if someone has uh, adultery, it's called an affair. If someone uh, uh, inf does infanticide, it's called a woman's right, right? They redefine what God says. So think about this in your confession to the Lord. First John 1, 9, you confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you of sins. You know the word in Greek is homo legeo. You must confess homo legeo. 
What does that mean? Homo legeo, homo means same in Greek. Legeo's tongue. You must say the same tongue as God is saying. Or in other words, you must say the same thing that God says you're doing. If you're lusting, you can't call, well, I have wandering eyes. You're not calling it the same thing. You have to confess it by saying the same thing, right? Instead, if you say you sin, you cannot say, I made a mistake. That's not the same thing. You have to confess the same. Why? Why is the language so important? Because he wants you to say and admit what he says about the reality, not what you say about reality, what he says, right? Okay, that's how you do proper confession. But what Satan does is come and say, no, no, let's monkey around with the language, okay? And so infanticide is not gonna be changed to a, a woman's right. Um, sodomy will now be called alternative lifestyle. You're catching it? He's twisting the language. So what Satan does is he takes something that God says is bad and then he changes the language to connotate something positive or neutral. And by doing this, this is where the deception and influence comes in. Once he can change the language, he can change the reality of that. Well, it's not so bad now when you call it, you know, alternative lifestyle. It's not so bad. Instead of calling it sodomy, a home. And that's where influence comes from. He's going to mess with the language in your head to call that which is evil good. You're not selfish, the devil will tell you. You just need to look out for number one because these people are coming after you. And they're on, they're, they have a witch hunt for you. So you better protect yourself. Protection turns is a, a positive thing instead of saying what God says is saying you're self-absorbed and you're selfish. And you think it's, well, it's just protection because everyone hates me and everyone's after me in a witch hunt. Oh, that's how it is. Wow. And before you know it, the believer is out of commission. The believer's in another reality. The believer thinks, this is a witch and everyone's after me. Everyone hates me. Everyone's going trying to get me. And so then the reality changes and the person gets paranoid, right? And so once Satan can get them paranoid, they're off in la-la land. You can't bring them back until they come back in humility. So, so he can twist that and say, look, man, they're all after you, dude. Don't you get it, man? You're the only one that's good here. You're the only one that's good. It's got him. He's got him. Or how about this? You know, you know, um, he's going to come and whisper in your, your wife or your husband's really not paying attention to you very much. They don't have much affection for you. They, they are disrespecting you. Or, or, or I can't believe that they, they just don't help you around the house. I just can't believe this. You're doing all the work and you're doing all of this and, and you're trying to make this all happen and, and no one's respecting it. No one's appreciating you. You're underappreciated. That's all it is. You're just underappreciated. Your spouse doesn't like you like they should. They just don't. They take you for granted. They think it's an automatic 
They think that when they married you, they married a slave. And that they're the master and you're just the slave. You need to be appreciated more, all the hard work you do. Can't believe your husband has come every day with flowers for you. It's just it's unbelievable. You, you, you're so neglected. There's a lack of nurturing going on with your spouse. What's up with your spouse? What is he doing? I'm changing the language. Instead, the reality is quit complaining turns into I'm underappreciated. I'm undernurtured. No, you're a complainer. That's all you are. You complain if, if, if it's 72 degrees outside, you'll have something to complain about. No, you're a narcissist. You think the world revolves around you. You think everyone should be bowing down to you because you're the princess or you're the king. That's the reality of you. But see, you don't want to take that reality. You would rather listen to Satan manipulate that and say, there's nothing wrong with you. It's them. And then he's got you in another reality. And at that point, everybody's your enemy, including your own spouse. Bingo, he's got you. That's how he manipulates words. That's what he does. He will make you self-focused, self-absorbed, victim, victim. And then once he's got you to be a victim, he can deceive you just like that. He's got you. This is the problem in marriages. This is the problem in relationships. Somebody is a victim and everyone else is the oppressor. I think I found that somewhere in a political uh, ideology, right? Where is that found in? Marxism? There's oppressor versus oppressed. Yeah, that's satanic, by the way. Marxism didn't create that. Satan did. A victim and oppressor. You're being treated so bad. How can you? Oh, this is horrible. See, a victim changes reality, doesn't a victim? What, so what's the reality that a victim creates? What, what comes out of victimhood? What does the victim expect? Pity, entitlement, entitlement. You guys have treated me so bad, I deserve X, Y, and Z. My spouse is treating me so bad, I deserve X, Y, and Z. I did this, I deserve this. And that's where entitlement comes from. And that's when you can't control the person at that point because they're out of reality. You're not owed anything in this life. Christ will make it up for you in the next one, but you're not owed anything in this life and you're not gonna get the things you lost back. But if you go through life as a victim and entitled, you will destroy yourself. And that's what he wants to do. Okay, that's influence. Any other questions on influence? I know it's probably more than what you wanted to know, but um, that's how he works. That's what he does. And uh, it's not a fun game. It's not a fair game at all. Uh, you can see his, his, the strategies of him. Okay, let's take a five-minute break. We'll come back and do some current events.